Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Rinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Leslie Nash from Dunedin, New Zealand. I am a huge rapper fan from way back, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Leslie, uh, from New Zealand, nominated by listener Carl Solomon. Now, Matt, do explain to me uh, what relation Leslie is to Carl, because I'm trying to get my head around it. Leslie is Carl's grandmother-in-law, right. and as we heard, she's a big Rafael Nadal fan, and Carl tells me that he had the pleasure of taking Leslie to Roland Garros a couple of years ago to see Nadal play for the first time. So a very, oh. very special moment they shared there. What a fantastic story. That's lovely. Well, I hope you're listening, Leslie, and hope you enjoy the show, and, uh, and it's lovely to have you uh, introducing us. Um, and thank you for your support, Carl. Catherine, you are right. Yes, I'm fine. I must um, put a disclaimer on uh, on my contributions as they might have sort of some dog sound effects in the background. She's she's wrestling with something. Mm. Okay, right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll we'll deal with that. That's fine. Uh, and then my printer might start, obviously, because it's homeschooling day and my son doesn't seem to have got the gist yet. <laughs> and I haven't got the lock sorted on the door. But anyway, we will crack on. Um, it's that kind of Australian Open, really, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest, nothing's normal. It should have should have been over by now already. Yeah. Um, Do you remember a couple of days ago when we were when we were decrying how many tennis matches there were and how many events <laughs> there were and how difficult it was to keep across it all and how we couldn't possibly um, register the names of them all and get them all right? Well, be careful what you wish for is the <laughs> lesson we've learned. We do seem to be going from one ridiculous extreme of loads of tennis right at the start of the year to absolutely nothing for two weeks and loads of tennis, loads of tennis, mm. and now everything's stopped again. Yes, yes, we might have to call this podcast Melbourne Mayhem Relived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, because you haven't really been following it that closely, I mean, today was supposed to be our draw reaction show. Well, that's for the Australian Open, the draw hasn't taken place yet the draw is now going to be tomorrow and bless him craig tiley said oh it'll be sometime at two or three in the afternoon don't really know when yet <laughs> um, but uh, i'll let you know when we've decided um because he's had a bit of a a bit of a day as craig and as have everybody at the australian open and the the lead-up events and everybody involved in tennis australia and obviously the state of victoria because they are approaching the coronavirus very, very differently to certainly how we have in the UK and how many of our listeners have told us about and we've seen on the TV, obviously, in the US. And it's a zero tolerance uh, rule to, towards the, the the discovery or positive testing of anybody with COVID-19. And, and that is what happened, I guess, what, 24 hours ago from when we record um, that news came through that uh, a hotel worker had tested positive in the Grand Hyatt Hotel, um, somebody who, and that's the official hotel, one of, one of which many, many players are staying at and are regarded 
in the words of Tennis Australia and the Victorian government as casual contacts, therefore. And what that's meant is that 600 people were required to isolate until they received a negative test. So mass testing has gone on today in Australia. Um, Craig Tiley speaking a couple of hours ago, the tournament director at the Australian Open, and saying that they'd got through about two-thirds of their um, of their tests. So far, none of them had tested positive, uh, the players and their support teams, um, from what we understand anyway. And uh, and those are filtering out throughout the day. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, they've put the draw back until tomorrow. But it basically means, Catherine, that there is no play today in Australia whatsoever. All those six events remain where they were 24 hours ago in terms of their draw positions. Um, and it's now a really tight squeeze logistically for the tournament to get played before the Australian, which is, as Greg Tidy said, still scheduled to be played on Monday. And equally, un- and understandably, the locals in Victoria are more concerned now. Yeah, and, fr- and frankly, if the scenario ends up being that one day's play is cancelled and everything resumes as planned tomorrow and the draw the draw goes ahead a day later than scheduled, that will be an absolute triumph as as far yeah. as I'm concerned and I'm sure as far as, as Tennis Australia are concerned. There are a lot of worst case scenarios than that. Um, we haven't been presented with a scenario of what happens if any of those 600 plus tests is returned as positive um I, I i suspect that decision that scenario would not remotely be in the hands of tennis australia that would be in the hands of uh, the victorian premier and the health authorities um albeit i'm sure with some some pleading and and, and cases being made on behalf of tennis australia but but that is um, the unknown and the uh, the teetering on the edge of a cliff type scenario at the moment. Does everybody suddenly become deemed a close contact? Do, do they get upgraded from casual contact to close contact if one of them tests positive? And, and if so, the, the wording of the rules state that close contacts have to immediately self-isolate for 14 days, regardless of any test results. Because, of course, this... This 26-year-old worker at the Grand Hyatt, he returned a negative test at, throughout his period working there and at the end of his quarantine. He has only subsequently tested positive after showing symptoms once out in the community. And as the Victorian Premier was very frank about in his press conference uh, on, what would it have been, Wednesday night Australian time. Nothing says don't panic like uh, calling a 10.30pm press conference. He said, look, there will be other cases. This guy's been out in the community. You know, they listed the the places he'd been, um, luckily without revealing his identity because it sounded like he'd been having a great time. Golf club, restaurants, all over the shop. I thought, oh, I want to be living this guy's life. Um, and we know how infectious the virus is. There are going to be other cases. And I can only imagine what a tremendous source of worry that is for, for Melburnians. I mean, we're talking about a place where one single case is a big deal. One single case results in a 10.30pm emergency press conference. Um, mm-hmm. So the inevitability of there being further cases will make everybody very jumpy and I think uh, you know assuming the Australian Open does go ahead as planned as I say that's best case scenario I'd be surprised if it didn't impact crowds and so on yeah I mean as we've talked about previously I think we talked at the start of the week how quiet it seemed really in the stadia compared to what I think maybe we were expecting especially after seeing the pictures in Adelaide and, and the full house there and but a lot of the stands have been fairly quiet now there are lots of reasons for that including the fact that schools have gone back now that it's not holidays that it would normally be uh, during the Australian Open in January um, and yeah I mean exactly the reasons difficult to know they're, they're still hoping that they get good crowds and they're saying they think they will for the Australian Open but who knows Catherine you, you may well be right that this just changes people's feeling ongoing um and you would understand that really yeah absolutely I, I was doing some research yesterday into the into the olympics and sort of the current 
current state of play with that and whether it will go ahead sort of kind of with the mindset of thinking the Olympics and the IOC must be looking very closely at the Australian Open because it's probably as close at the moment to a kind of guinea pig situation as we've had in terms of how international the sport is bringing in people from all over the world and hundreds if not thousands of them now obviously the Olympics would be a completely different scale up altogether but I think it's the closest we've had so far and it must be making them jittery and and there are other comparisons as well you know I I read um, I read that uh, polls in Japan showed the vast majority of the population are opposed to the Olympics going ahead they they don't want it and that's in spite of the, the money that's obviously already been spent on, on the venues and, and everything associated with hosting the Olympics. Um, there would obviously be massive downsides to it not going ahead. And yet still, um, that's what the polls show. You know, it's possible, you know, the situation and the, the temperature with regards to COVID-19 is so different. depending on where you are in the world. And and we've seen evidence of that with how badly some players misjudged their their approach to to being in quarantine and and what they said publicly about that. And it's possible that that we've all, and maybe even Tennis Australia, I don't know, have have misjudged the public feeling about COVID-19 and about this event going ahead in this climate. I don't, I don't, no, because I'm not there, but it, I can see how it would be easy to have yeah. to have misjudged it. No, I don't envy them the, the challenge that they have. Um, the, uh, there's also a story that, that has been revealed this morning that the hotel quarantine worker worked with um, 60 people um, that gathered. He didn't gather, apparently, but they gathered to celebrate the end of the Australian Open quarantine period in a St Kilda hotel and um, the the organisers of that party were COVID quarantine Victoria Um, and I mean no rules were broken in doing that but again it just heightens the anxiety I think uh, more generally of of who else has been in contact with him Uh, and um, I guess we're only going to find out in due course if and how much that has repercussions where that leaves the tournaments, Matt, is something I've been trying to get my head around today because we, we've we've got six tournaments going on here and now there's one day less in which to play them all. So these these courts for tomorrow now with their, their new scheduling are, I mean, they were, they're already pretty jam-packed, but it's more so than ever now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> join the club trying to get your head around it all. Um, yeah, enjoy that question, Matt. I'll just, I'll just sit back. <laughs> I got the easy COVID nineteen <laughs> questions. I always give Matt the one where you have got to come up with the detail. <laughs> what we know is that the two ATP events are at the last sixteen stage, and the certainly the two WTA events, which aren't the hard quarantine event, they're at the quarterfinal stage. And all of those quarterfinals, I believe, are taking place uh, on one court tomorrow. There's eight matches on one court, uh, whereas the men tomorrow, a lot of them are, are scheduled twice. Um, so they'll they'll play their last 16 in the morning and then come back in the afternoon and, and play their quarterfinals. So, yeah, they are playing catch-up. They've, they've brought in a measure on the WTA side only. We understand that the deciding set won't be a full set it will just be a match tie break instead don't think that has been replicated on the ATP side Um, and then with regards to the ATP cup that does slightly further complicate things because that competition is taking up two of the covered courts at Melbourne Park uh, the Rod Laver Arena and the John Kane Arena formerly known as the Melbourne Arena Um, and the rest yeah (laughs) so that sort of limits what matches can be played on those courts and the weather is another factor in all of this as it so often is when scheduling matches david you put on twitter that the melbourne weather tomorrow friday looks sort of solly hullian (laughs) 
It ain't Dan good, Evans folks. is flexing his muscles <laughs> as we speak. And there is a suggestion that they might have to put some of the matches on some indoor sort of training facility courts that they have. Yeah. Um, so it's all incredibly complicated and... I mean, even more incredibly complicated and jam-packed than it already was. Before we came on air for the last podcast, David, you made a... a, 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 It wasn't a sort of definitive opinion, but you sort of threw out the the discussion point of whether or not these build-up events this week should have ranking points attached to them. And I do now come back to thinking about that and think we're, we're kind of in a worst of both worlds situation with that in that I do think they are perhaps somewhat hamstrung by the fact that these events all have ranking points attached because they are forced to have to clutch to a certain amount of legitimacy but also they are having to compromise and sacrifice a certain amount of legitimacy you know with these these two events on the WTA side now having now having match tie breaks it does feel like a like a slightly flexible sway with the wind type situation. Mm. Now that's what has to happen in these current times. You know that 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 makes sense. I understand why they're doing it, but it it does raise slight consistency and legitimacy questions on the on the rankings point front. Although you could make the case that the rankings are just such a mess at the moment. I mean, with, with the with each passing week and month we are slightly um decreasing how much weight we give to the rankings aren't mm-hmm. we because they are so covid impacted yeah and I, I guess is it better for players to play events with compromised format and have ranking points that feel a little bit iffy or play events that don't have any ranking points at all yeah i I think Mm. i think they would probably prefer the former you know that given they've gone over their ranking points is you know it's what they trade in isn't it it's 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 fundamental Mm. to them i think on the whole i would prefer this i think Mm. um and i i I look i've the reason i raised it is because i of the same the same reasons uh, a week ago um there is quite a lot of leeway within the rule book i think when i've seen in the past that they can alter things a little bit in order to make it work and just time wise and stuff it, it does feel weird uh, and it's a shame that it's not consistent with both the tours doing this in a way mm. um but i i feel like if if you made it exhibition i think that there is a danger that it be, some take it seriously and some don't and mm. it could be hit and giggle for some and uh, and I'm, I'm not sure whether that would be satisfactory but, but do you go to australia quarantine for for two weeks in order to play a slam and treat your one week of warm-up as a hit and giggle mm, ranking points yeah. or not no i know what you mean um, I, 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 and i it would just it would put a few more options on the table for the next few days i'm kind of playing devil's advocate here i don't necessarily disagree with you but it would put more options mm. on the table for the next few days if it yeah. were an ex if they were exhibitions but i don't know i think um we sometimes see this in doubles where players sign up to play the doubles and then it gets a bit inconvenient and then they just pull out, don't they? Uh, which which always, I always feel a, a bit unsatisfied with that really. Um, same time, this is just, I don't know how these organisers are putting on these things. I don't know how, having been somebody who works at tennis tournaments, I don't know how Craig Tiley's handling this. I really don't. I saw him at that press conference this morning and he's talking about getting calls in the night from players and talking about how supportive people have been. But just, I'm just trying to get my head around how how he's still coping, really, to this point. I mean, there's still two and a half weeks left yet. Um, and and, the, and the, the premiere the other night, the way they speak, I, it, it is a mind-bending feat, really. For the first time, I thought Craig Tiley looked a little bit ropey. <laughs> He, he's been he's been so good at, at just maintaining this kind of impervious looking uh, unflusterable exterior and he didn't look at all flustered in this press conference but i just thought appearance wise hmm. he did look like a man who had had slightly better periods in his life perhaps <laughs> and i mean haven't we all actually despite all the problems they've had with with putting this event on and the sort of extraordinary efforts they've had to go to to put these events on 
to me, this is what tennis in a pandemic should look like in terms of get the players to one location and stay there and play as many tournaments as you can in that hub. Yes, it's weird. Yes, it's not ideal. But actually, the experience of watching it is is quite a good one. There's so much going on when you do watch. And it strikes me as the safest way to do it. Obviously, I know there's there's all sorts of other interested parties and, and holding all the tennis in one place is, is very difficult to do and so forth. But this to me is is how tennis should look. I feel a lot more comfortable with this than I did when they were just gallivanting around Europe at the end of last season, sort of going from country to country. And I know I know it's very difficult on on the people of Melbourne and Australia and I I fully respect and admire their approach to coronavirus. But if you can get tennis all in one place, I do think that is the better format at the moment. Mm. Motion to move all tennis for the remainder of the year to the Maldives and we'll all just uh, decamp there. If that's what you're proposing, Matt, then yes, please. (laughs) Um, Let's talk a bit about the tennis that we have had since uh, Monday's show because there has been quite a lot of it, um, which I've watched at some bizarre times of the day and night here um found some very good highlight services on the wta's uh, youtube channel they they've got alerted me to the fact that they've got three minute highlights of each match and i was just wading through these matches and uh and catching little snippets here and there um but but i mean first of all where where are we with the atp cup i mean i have i really have no clue uh, has anybody gone to the uh, semi-finals or yes. something Yes, and right. some teams have also been eliminated. Yeah, so Russia and Italy are through. Russia okay. with Medvedev and Rublev, such a strong team. We know how yeah. we know how strong Rublev mm. is against anyone ranked below him. He just beats them, um, and pretty much most of the number two players are ranked below Rublev. So he's the kind of perfect guy to complement Medvedev, who's been playing very well. And Italy are through. Matteo Berrettini has been somewhat of a revelation. He's, he's following all of Mary Carillo's rules. He's, he's holding his serve. He's showing his strength. And crucially, he seems to be covering his weaknesses, which we've talked about before. And he beat... Uh, so his backhand is the weakness, right? Yeah, mm. and maybe movement a little bit as well. But, I mean, he's just taken those out of the equation and just, I mean, he absolutely dominated team and dominated Monfils. So Italy and Russia are through... Greece need to beat Spain 3-0, but, I mean, that ain't happening. So, <laughs> What are you trying to say about <laughs> don't know his first name, Pavlorakis? <laughs> Saying that he's, he's, he's not beating Pablo Carreño Busta. He's going to have the day of his life. Um, and the winner of Serbia-Germany will go through from, from the other group. Right. Yes, I, I've seen poor old Denis Shapovalov Pervlerakis. Mikhail Pervlerakis. Okay. Got that. Um, Yeah, Denis Shapovalov played Djokovic the other day, didn't he? And had two very tight sets of tennis. I think he lost them both 7-5. And then he lost, I think, 7-6 in the third set uh, tie break to Zverev um, in the the tie against Germany. It was all very Shapovalov, wasn't it? (laughs) It, it, it was all very Shapovalov and very Djokovic. Mm, if, if there was yeah. it, the, the match was just a microcosm of their careers, really. It perfectly illustrated everything you need to know about those those two players. I mean, Shapovalov played some fantastic tennis. I mean, just really good. And yet, Djokovic is kind of the nightmare opponent for him. The the way that Djok- I always think Djokovic is so on balance, and Shapovalov is a tennis player who's quite off balance a lot of the time. The leaning backwards, falling backwards, he was put in awkward spots by Djokovic quite a lot. And then, obviously, the climax of both sets was was where it really played out their differences. Shapovalov got a little bit loose, started making some errors, and and Djokovic knuckled down and, and managed to grab both sets. He just he makes players like Shapovalov live right on the edge, doesn't he, Djokovic? And and that can be great to watch for periods, but when you're right on the edge and it gets really tight, it's, it's too easy to fall over the edge. He just he tempts them over the edge, doesn't mm. he? Mm. Just 
right at the crunch point of the set. Yeah. So um, where where else are we? Uh, we? We haven't even had Nadal play. He's been injured, hasn't he? Yes, he. We've we've had Nadal, just not just not playing. Very good alternative to watching Nadal play tennis is watching Nadal watch tennis. And we have been reminded of that this week because he has he's sat on the sidelines. He has a, a stiff back, I think, is what he said. So he didn't play against, who was it, Australia. And he's not on the schedule tomorrow either to play against Greece, which, I mean, has to be a concern. Mm. I mean, we know Nadal is quite cautious, but we also know he likes playing matches. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a difficult one to really tell where he is, but I, it's certainly a concern. Um, but instead we've seen Nadal sort of, I don't think he's the official Spain captain, but he's the Spain captain, um, (laughs) sort of the way he is giving amazing face and amazing reactions to everything. Every tiny little moment that happens, he lets you know exactly how he's feeling about it. I, we've been watching, um, with our Australian open series accreditation, we can watch just a feed of these matches, without commentary on and for me that's kind of the perfect way to follow this event because the microphones pick up everything that's being said between the players and the captains both during the changeovers and during the points you know you can absolutely hear everything and the dal is non-stop talking i mean i was watching his watching him follow the bautista agu match and i mean every single (laughs) point he was giving some instruction in catalan to bautista agu and just a fascinating to then contrast that with dumanor who's receiving really sort of positive upbeat instructions from leighton hewitt and john millman come on mate come on mate. yeah every point every point like as opposed to what <laughs> just a totally different energy to what nadal is giving in uh, in his boxes that for me is my favorite part of that event i think the the dynamic between the player and the and the teams. It's very interesting. It makes me feel like I can speak Catalan because I know everything Nadal is saying just from his face. <laughs> can, can, ha, ha, do you, are you following the conversations fluently, Matt? I actually had a different experience to Catherine. It, it made me realise that I can't speak Catalan. <laughs> Despite studying it and uh, living in Barcelona for a little while, it's oh, Nadal speaking Catalan very quickly is uh, not an e- easy thing to follow. But I can certainly get the gist of what he's saying via the eyebrows. Via the yeah, yeah via the eyebrows. <laughs> do you, do you feel like you it, it, you you when you go in his press conferences and you stay for the Spanish section, do you feel like you pick up something else from him? And a different a different person in any way, or or just a, or or more, I guess, more texture. Yeah, he he's just able to break down matches in a lot more detail in Spanish. I mean, I would say Nadal speaks English fairly fluently because my definition of fluency is really being able to get your personality across and make yourself understood, and he, he certainly can do that in English. But you don't often get much sort of real breakdown of a of a point or a match, whereas he can do that in Spanish, and he just he just offers. I think you just realise what a what a tennis mind he has and how he remembers everything, all the details he he can really uh, put across in Spanish. So I I always well when we used to go to press conferences, I would I would always stay on for the for the Spanish section, not because I got a sense of a different person, but just because he offered so much more detail and I think it's it's mm. interesting to follow if you can and it's not just Nadal there's lots of other players who I'm I'm sure offer that in their in their native language and frankly I find the level of English on the on the tennis tour to be extraordinary really the, mm. the fact that these players give post match interviews in a in English and have to grapple with both their emotions and trying to speak clearly about a match they've literally just played i i I'm, yeah. I'm sort of constantly in awe of the linguistic capabilities um but yeah mm. i think when you can listen to someone in their own language there's there's always a lot to be to be gained from that we should probably give a a, a um a notable mention to uh, to alex de Menor, um who is uh, enjoying coaching coming at him 
from two different directions in two different languages during the ATP Cup because <laughs> his coach, of course, is Spanish and De Menor is completely fluent in Spanish, but he's also got Leighton Hewitt <laughs> barking in his left ear and John Millman just being relentlessly upbeat behind <laughs> him. <laughs> and, Go on, John. And, uh, yeah, he, but he's, he's also being like a stroppy teenager in Spanish with his coach. It's, it's quite a sort of management job he's got going on. Uh, that's great. I, actually, I think um, Sitsapas and Dimonor was was one of the other matches that I managed to see some of. Uh, Sitsapas won it in the end, didn't he? But it was, and I mean, he was he was brilliant at times. Sitsapas and certainly the first set, but Dimonor came back at him. Um, I, I just don't feel like the order is any different right now. I don't I don't know about you. I don't feel like things have changed. When we talked about Shapovalov, it's classic Shapovalov, mm. it's classic Djokovic. I don't feel like anybody's gone away into this into this off season that I can sense and that I feel things are different. You know, I I, st- I still would put Medvedev slightly ahead of Sitsapas in the pecking order behind those top two or three and with with team in there, you know. Have you, are you getting any any different vibes from anybody at all in that regard? No, I completely agree with you, David. I think the order feels reasonably set at the moment. A little bit of jostling behind those top players. Um, for example, I thought De Menor had a had a shot of beating Sitsapas, and yet Sitsapas sort of confirmed himself as slightly ahead of De Menor in that in that pecking order. Um, so, so no, I agree. I. I forgot how testy the ATP Cup was. A lot of shouting, a lot of screaming. Heightened by the mics or just generally? I think just generally. I think just when they get in that team environment, there's a, there's a sort of macho element to it. And um, I mean, Shapovalov in particular, he, he's, he's difficult to comprehend a little bit at the moment. He's, he's very set on his sort of zen, zen-like state during the changeovers. And then he comes onto court, and I mean, every almost after every point, he's he's screaming. It's, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable to watch, but <laughs> but his tennis has been pretty good. So I, I would say I'd say it's working. He's moving in the right direction. I wonder whether he would be better off carrying himself in a different way. Maybe you know, I that, think he's trying, but it's difficult to know, really. That isn't it. Um, by the way, just in terms of the ATP Cup, I feel like it. I mean, this is a wholly unsatisfactory few days generally because it can't be what it wants to be and what everybody would hope tennis to be. We, we, we've got to make do, really. Um, the, the the massive own goal, I think, was starting on day one with all four players on the court in red shirts and white shorts, which Pam Shriver noticed uh, with when they played the doubles, Canada against Serbia. And it's just... It just feels like one of those things that surely that can be sorted out somehow with an away kit. Yeah, it felt like a satire. It, it was it was that ludicrous. I mean, it's it's you know, of all the things that we're contending with, we should take the easy wins <laughs> yeah. where we can, and that is present a so well easy win. In in other ways, I mean, yeah. it really is a well presented event, and you're right. I mean, they've ramped up those mics, and it's it's definitely enhanced the experience. Um, on the in I mean, generally speaking, I'm more interested in women's tennis at the moment because I feel like there are so many people that are right in that top echelon of players and jostling, and I don't really know. I never, I don't feel any great confidence about who's going to come out on top. The one big disappointment from when we were speaking the other day is that Bianca Andreescu didn't end up playing at all, um, and. A little bit like Nadal, we're, we're sort of we take you take on face value what you're being told that she just, I mean, she was supposed to be in the hard quarantine uh, tournament, wasn't she? Um, but the fact that she's going to go into the Australian Open in theory and just literally not play a tennis match um, is not ideal. Um, and, for, and for over a year, yeah. So you wonder. I, I hope she's okay. Really, I mean, we just don't know that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it... It was a slightly strange statement, I thought. I mean, it was encouraging on the one hand because it didn't it didn't appear as though she had an injury. It appeared that the 
reasoning behind it was that she felt like training would be better preparation for the Australian Open. Maybe preventative then. Perhaps, um, yeah. You know, get the body right. Having done two weeks of hard quarantine, maybe if she can just build herself up, she might feel there's more yeah. cushioning there in order to stop a big issue when the tournament gets going. So let's hope it's that. Um, I was, I, I saw the first of... Iga Sviantek's matches uh, at her tournament. She went a set down to Kaya Yuvan um, and lost that set 6-2. And it was an absolute pummeling. And Yuvan just seemed to be reading the game of Sviantek. And, and then she turned it around and she won it easily. But lost in the second round pretty handily, Sviantek. Do you have any views on... I mean, I was, I was sort of watched that first set and I couldn't help but draw in jump into conclusions that, oh, is she going to be one of the ones that struggles to to cope with the, with all the eyes on her, with all the expectation, with suddenly the interests of sponsors and the opportunities she has and and still come out every time and, and play to her best and with the target on her back and all the rest of it? Do you, I mean, do we just not have enough data at this stage to answer that? Because... I couldn't help being just a little bit... I hadn't really thought about it before, but I was a little concerned watching her this week. Hmm. I, I think it's too early for concern. I really do. It's not do. much data, is it? Yeah. This is unusually pessimistic of you, David. <laughs> I just... I don't know. I'm, I, 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 you, 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 he, he really looks edgy. <laughs> I'm jumpy. You are. Yeah. What can I say? There's a lot of extenuating circumstances, I would say, and... I mean, one of those is she's using a new racket. Um, is she? Yeah, she, she's got a – she's switched from Prince. I think she was using a Prince racket mm. at the French Open. She's now using Technofiber. Oh. And, I mean, that – I mean, she – I think she used to use Technofiber as a junior and she's, you know, she, she is familiar with those rackets and I'm sure she'll have done all the appropriate testing and whatever. But, I mean, that is that is a transition that always makes me – to use the word a bit jumpy anyway. I mean, I remember Djokovic going through a couple of years after his breakthrough slam. He switched from uh, Wilson to Head, didn't he? And, that, and I mean, there were lots of other things going on, but that was one of the adjustments he had to make. Um, just watching Sviantek, I think, was an adjustment I needed to make because the last time we saw her play was four months ago and she played the most flawless tennis imaginable. And I think that is stuck in my mind because that was the last time I saw her play. But of course, she can't always play like that. And it was it was sort of normal that she would not produce that incredible level again. I'd, I'm not sure it necessarily points to oh, she's she's not coping with it at all well. And we'd seen so little of her before that fortnight of perfect tennis. It was just like oh well, pretty much everything I've seen of Shvantec is winning Grand Slams without dropping a set. So this is what happens then. Yeah, I, I need to calm down. Then is what you're saying. Yeah, listen to Taylor right. Swift. You need to calm down. <laughs> it worked for Billie Jean this week in the it car. Did. Knocked a spark out. Mm -hmm. um, little little bit of folklore. <laughs> but. You know, it's certainly a situation to monitor and because mm. it could happen. There's plenty mm. of examples of it happening. The racket thing mm. worries me a bit. Is that Does that look like a commercial contract yeah, that she's taken is. on? Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, I, I go back to remembering Marit Safin doing it after winning the US Open. And uh, um, I think a couple of years ago, Karen Hatchinov uh, changed mm. his and, and it just seems to... I mean, they, it's such a personal thing, isn't it? The racket you use. Um, anyway, I've, I need to I need to stop this. <laughs> I need to get out of this <laughs> frame of mind because um, it's bothering me. Uh, well, what about other players you've seen this week? Uh, Serena Williams is still going. She's looking pretty good, I think. Uh, Naomi Osaka beats Katie Bolter, who's had a cracking start to the uh, the year. Katie Bolter, she beat Coco Goff, um, and she won one in the first round as well, and then won the first set against Osaka. I, I didn't see that match, but I think one of you, one either one or both of you did. I did, yeah. I stayed up late to watch that one. Um, and it was really interesting, actually. I mean, Katie Bolton knew she just had to go for it. I mean, that is her preferred game style anyway. But she obviously knew, you know, let Osaka take control and get me on the run and I've got no chance. So to see someone like Katie Bolton come out and be the aggressor and the big, bigger hitter 
against Naomi Osaka was really quite something. Um, and it was a thrill to watch. Ultimately, she couldn't she couldn't maintain it. And Osaka definitely upped her levels. Osaka was patchy in the first set, I would say. Bolter's serve let her down on a few occasions and Osaka sort of failed failed to capitalise. Um, and... Yeah, fantastic competitive performance from from Naomi Osaka, and really showed commitment and desire, and and did that champions thing of improving through through the match. Um, and and the third set did have a slight feeling of inevitability about it. And look, Naomi Osaka is a better tennis player, and as impressed as I am with Katie Bolter, it's unlikely that she has the potential anything like in Naomi Osaka. So the fact that she was genuinely competitive um, for that period was was very impressive, really very impressive. And I just, it was just a really enjoyable, enjoyable set of tennis to watch her go at it like that against three-time Grand Slam champion. Was that a doorbell? Yeah. So. Well, she's ripped the post to shreds. Uh, what you got? It was it. Uh, that was uh, Amazon um, did delivering a uh, a heater. Right. Okay. I wonder why you were wearing about six layers. Anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, but I discovered a pile of post uh, on the floor uh, from the Royal Mail, and most of it had been eaten and ripped to shreds. That is yes. No my more. my investment times catalogue <laughs> is barely legible. <laughs> So just I have to find something else details. to do with my afternoon. Right. Okay. Um, Johanna Conta had a bit of a heartbreaker. I mean, I, I didn't see it. But <laughs> Are my you projecting, word, David? What? I'm just sort of, you know, looking at the, the scoreline and it was four, six, seven, six, seven, six and three and, a, three and a half hours. And I was thinking, and I did think, oh, glad I didn't sit through that. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like an absolute um, ordeal. Um, she lost to Irena Camellia Begu. And yes, I am projecting because I picked Conta to win the title in newsletter, which you can sign up to if you like. And just uh, laugh at my expense on a weekly and daily at the Grand Slams basis. Um, Irina Sabalenka, who I said would win a Grand Slam title this year, has just had her 15 match streak winning streak ended by uh, Kaya Kanepi. And uh, <laughs> I did see some of that and it was hilarious um because you know how sabalenka likes to come out and just dis- seek and destroy um and kaya kanepi walks out and physically she's a match for her and she just couldn't have looked less bothered quite honestly kaya kanepi and yet she's five love up after about 20 minutes um and the scoreline went 6-1-2-6-6-1 in the favour of Kayakanepi, which is probably the most predictable thing about it, was the lopsided nature of all three sets. Just very quickly on Begu, she was in Adelaide quarantine, wasn't she? Because she was Halep's hitting partner there. Oh. So it it doesn't surprise me that she's having a good run. There was some quite good stats to keep across on, really, wouldn't there? Those that were in the lovely Adelaide Mm. quarantine, those that were in the sort of normal Melbourne quarantine and those that were in the hard can't-leave-your-room quarantine. And we will be keeping across them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. What about um, your new spot, Matt, from last year, Carlos Alcaraz, who... Uh, not, Not last year, David. Was it the year before? It was the year before the year before that. Oh, goodness. Okay, where did you spot him again? At the Barcelona tennis tournament in April April 2017. And he was about 12. Yeah. I mean, genuinely. Yeah, I think he was 13. Was he? He was, I, was, I was kind of joking. <laughs> yeah, he was 13. He was, playing, he was playing a junior event. He wasn't playing the actual right. uh, men's ATP event. He was playing a junior event. I watched him there in the final. And the messages I sent that day are the messages that have aged better than any message I've ever sent because mm. I just remember being so completely overwhelmed by how good he was at 13 and how complete he looked. And now here he is. He he really does appear to be, well, the real deal. You had a you had a bit of a watch along, you two, didn't you? Because I kept getting. I mean, I, I came back to my phone and there were like sixty four unread <laughs> messages where you're talking about. I mean, it sounds like you know he's a combination of Leighton Hewitt, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Pete Sampras all in one. Um, <laughs> tell me, Catherine, what did you see? I saw him beating the top seed in the Great Open Road Murray River Open Trophy. Mm, okay. Um, David Goffin in straight sets. I mean, it wasn't particularly close. Alcaraz... It was never was, close. It was never close. No, Alcaraz was just so much better. David Goffin looked like, looked like bad Superman. Um, I mean... David Goffin, who's looked like a 17-year-old boy band member for the entirety of his adulthood, suddenly had stubble, and it was very disconcerting. This is Superman 4, right? Superman 4, yeah. And they were starting to get a bit ropey. Yeah, where he goes to the bar and, you know, He's anyway. down in shots and yeah. smashing them to bits. Yeah, yeah. it was He's like that. stubble. Um, but it, but, <laughs> oh, it, but it was kind of fitting because... Um, I I can imagine being beaten that handily by a 17-year-old would make you want to rip off your Superman shirt and head to the bar and do shots. I mean, I, uh, I'm just going to copy what Matt said four years ago now, but um, I couldn't believe how complete he was. I've what, been, why is he good? Because everything does he, do? he does is is a weapon. I mean, even, even his volleys and his net approaches are so good and you said he chipped charged he chipped he chipped and charged and just knew exactly what he was doing didn't have an you know i think we talked a a bit here and there about how this new generation not going to say next gen i mean i've said it now um coming (laughs) through are more are more willing, willing to serve and volley and that's great and i like to see it but it so often has a slightly experimental feel about it kind of learning on the job feel about it if I keep doing this then then my volleys will get better right um but he just could do it so well you know and I'm not um you know he wasn't drop volleying Pete Sampras at Wimbledon style but you know serving volleys chip and charge looking to to finish points off quickly obviously just a magnificent forehand I mean I can't think of a weakness 
I, I really can't. He looks, he looks like a perfect specimen. I mean, obviously he has one because he's he's not winning Grand Slams. Um, but I think he will be. Something would have to go wrong. Mm. He's, he's got an incredibly fast arm. Mm. And, he, and the power he generates on that forehand is is remarkable. Um, he, and he's he's really out of his, well, what you would think of his comfort zone. He's, he's played very little on hard courts. He's, he's really played mostly on, on clay. I don't think he's ever won a, he's never really won anything significant on hard court. He's, it was quite a feat for him to even qualify. And he was in 14 days hard quarantine. And he's gone from that to... I mean, destroying David Goffin, as Catherine has described, and Goffin seemed completely bewildered in his in his press conference about about how good uh, Alcaraz was. He was he was as impressed as anyone. Mm. So what you're saying, Matt, is when I was considering whether to go for concert, Sviantec, <laughs> or Alcaraz for my week's pick, I should have gone for Alcaraz. Well, well he, considering he he's the only one left there, in the he? tournament, <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's not happy that I've tried to. <laughs> try to hedge it out. Yeah, try to get some sort of credibility out of this pathetic week <laughs> of predicting. Um, anyway, uh, Nick Kyrgios. I mean, do you know? I d- I'm I'm struggling to. Uh, I'm I'm struggling already with Nick. You peeved, really. don't you? You are I'm a bit. I just. Maybe but it's I d- the same. I'm not ready for it. Are you peeved because I, it's the same? I don't know. I I, I suppose I kind of feel like. Come on, you can't be getting wound up. But I mean, he, I, 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 he I never from, promised it would be different, did he? From what I can see, uh, I didn't see all the matches that he had, but he had a time violation called on him when he was mid-served, didn't he, when the shot clock rolled down just as he's throwing the ball up, um, which did seem a bit... It does seem a bit a bit extreme, but at the same time, you know, he, he then... Uh, didn't he call for the supervisor and he says, I'm not playing and all this sort of thing? And I'm just... I just could... I don't know why, but at the moment I don't really, I don't really want the circus like that. I don't know. There's too much other stuff to get through. We haven't got time for all that. <laughs> mm. Feels like a luxury, or at least an indulgence. I'm not going to lie. I I had missed the feeling of being totally swept up by a slightly ridiculous Nick Kyrgios match, and those were those were very entertaining couple of sets he played. Um, he had a point about the serve. The problem is he should have left it there. He, hmm. he of course, he, I mean, the more he talked, the worse he made it. I really don't like the way he talks about umpires as though, no. as though they're a, and well, he used the word an extra. He said they're an extra to make sure all of this just runs smoothly. And mm. I, I really don't like that, especially when, especially now, as you say, David, when the umpires are making all the same sacrifices that the players are making to be on the tour and and more. I mean, they're not getting, I'm sure, the same nice treatment that the top players are playing. They're getting it as hard as it gets, I'm sure. Um, so I think a little bit more respect to them would be would be appreciated. But in terms of the actual tennis he put on, he, he's obviously making his first steps back. But there's, there's, there is so much to enjoy about the way he plays. I mean, he saved some set points with a sort of drop shot lob combination and what crowd there was on that court were were absolutely loving it um as Catherine says it was the same it was it was everything we've known Nick Kyrgios to be and I I guess I've just kind of accepted that now and just trying not to want him to be something that he's not um Mm. because we've had years of doing that the circus is so much worse when he plays lower ranked players yeah. It is. It yeah. is. It, it, it's. I, I think there's uh, that, there's two layers to that. It's the the how he deals with the the pressure of being expected to win. Hmm. It's a kind of deflection tactic from that, and it's also the you know struggling. He struggles to get pumped up for 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 smaller billing matches. Um, so he so he has to sort of find other ways to fire himself up. I'm not justifying that. You could interpret that as a sign of disrespect towards his opponent. But, um, you know, I would expect a still entertaining and eventful, but as a slightly 
a more knuckled down performance if he if he ends up playing top players. Well, he's got uh, Borna Chorich next, and that's the first match against someone who he had uh, big beef with on on. <laughs> On Twitter, isn't it? Do you remember that, that was time? Was it a, a big beef or some big beef? It was a big beef. A, a big, big beef. Yeah. My favourite um, kind. Because Charich had a bit of a pop back at him. He did. It? And then I think instantly regretted it because, <laughs> oh no, this is not me. What have I done? It's really not him, is it? No. Uh, well, he'll they'll get a chance to have a physical pop at one another mm. on the court. Yeah. You're like aggro, David. I reckon you could get into that. Yeah. I'll be all right, everybody. So I've just, you know, I'm a bit out of practice with all this. Mm. Um, so, so I just need to calm down, just enjoy it. Um, so anyway, we'll find out what um, what the next few days have in store. We're going to be back tomorrow with another show, hopefully after the draw has been made, and we can have a look at that and talk about, you know, what, what to expect and, and everything. And then we'll we'll have another show. Um, at the end of all these tournaments um, uh, over the weekends. And then it's into daily editions of the Australian Open Tennis Podcast. So hope you're enjoying what you're hearing and uh, and we'll be coming to you a lot over the next um, couple of weeks. Um, just before we go, um, you will recall that in the previous edition, we had said our intention is to refer to what is officially called the Margaret Court Arena as the Yvonne Goulagong arena um because of our feelings of of how we feel troubled by a lot of what she said over the years um without any acknowledgement of the the hurt and the damage that it's, that it's caused to to many people um it's an unofficial stance it's something that we we feel is a way for us to make our little stand on our show uh and say what we feel um and uh and so that's that's what we decided to do now we had a, a lot of reaction um a lot of it positive a lot of people happy to see us stand up and and say our our piece um and to 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 make this point um some people got in touch and didn't agree with it and a lot of a lot of those those ones that did write to us are listeners we've heard from before who are big supporters of us and and people we enjoy hearing from and and we were certainly certainly open to hearing feedback um now a couple of people had said that they felt that we were partaking in cancel culture which i i hate that idea Uh, i certainly don't feel that that's what we're doing um i fully respect margaret court's achievements as a tennis player and I hope she one day feels differently about the things that she said. Um, I certainly don't see it like that. Uh, I don't know what you two feel about it. Yeah, I I mean, we've had a number of different um, reasonings behind the, the criticism of us for, um, for the decision that we've made. Um, you know, some people have accused us of stifling freedom of speech. Well, I, I would, I would point to um, a case. Well, a case that's been made by plenty of people. But um, there was a speech given by Sasha Baron Cohen at the Anti Defamation League last year, um, and he said, "Freedom of speech is not the same as freedom of reach. People can say whatever they like, but." it's also up to up to us and decision makers and people with that power, whether or not they provide a platform for that speech. Um, and I believe that with naming that significant and prominent court after her, that is elevating Margaret Court's platform and therefore the platform from which she expresses her views and that is what I'm deeply uncomfortable with. And I don't wish to cancel her voice. She's entitled to to say whatever she likes, but I don't want to be part of amplifying that voice. And by that court bearing her name and us saying it every day, that is amplifying her voice in my view. You know, we, we've, we explained in, in the last episode that for us, given everything we've, we've learned and and have heard from so many greats the naming of a stadium is about a lot more than just 
titles and achievements in the sport. If it was simple as that, then there would just be a formula for it, wouldn't there? You've won 12, you get the biggest court. You've won nine, you get the second biggest court done. It wouldn't be a a decision-making process. So we're not cancelling her. Do do people think that that Yvonne Goulagong has been cancelled all this time because she hasn't had a, a court named after her? No, for us, it's about a lot more than just titles. Um, And yeah, for those accusing us of being woke, that's fine. I'm proud to be woke. I think if you're considering woke to be an insult, then that's probably something you should look at. For me, woke means being awake to the realities of the world and the realities of, of privilege and that is where I want to be. So thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's very well said. I echo everything you've said. I think if if ever there's an example of someone who hasn't been quote unquote cancelled, it is it is Margaret Court. Her name is still on that stadium despite the things she has continually said and the way she's continually said hurtful things about lgbtq people um this year she was given the top award in the australia day awards margaret court has has not been cancelled you 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 don't need to worry about her in in that respect um we will continue to talk about her tennis i'm sure she offers a very interesting place in tennis especially given everything we've talked about recently in terms of history how how do you put her achievements in in the context that's necessary without totally dismissing the career she had? Is a is it a is a really interesting debate, and I'm sure one that we will come back to, and her name will come up. But exactly as Catherine said, what what I think we're doing is purely about her name being on that stadium, and I think we've had problems with that for a long time. But through tennis relived and the research we've done, we've personally, I've really come to realise the significance of a name being on a stadium and what that means and why it matters and why it's about much more than just the achievements. Arthur Ashe, his name is not on the biggest stadium in tennis because he won three Grand Slam titles. It's about the way he achieved that, what he had to overcome to achieve that, and his tireless activism on race relations and AIDS awareness. And we feel that Margaret Court having her name on that stadium gives weight to what she's saying and sends out a message that it's okay to think like that. And I'm sorry, but I really don't think it is. I don't I don't think her homophobia can be normalized as just another opinion. Um it's not it's not political correctness it's not woke it's 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 just it's, it's just right it's just right these these are people's lives um when you know when she says things she's denying them that part of their identity their their humanity and we we want to stop amplifying that as as Catherine said so that's that's all this is um it's just a little stand we're making and yeah, people might think we've overstepped the mark or it's high-handed of us. Okay, we can we can maybe have a conversation about that. But the actual point of taking a stand against against what Margaret Court says, I I've, I fully I fully believe we're within our rights to do that. Um, mm. We're the ones that that would have to say her name multiple times every single day. You know, think about that. I I, I feel when it's not related to specifically her tennis achievements, I I do feel it's within our rights to to take a stand on that. Um, Yeah, and people saying you've got no right to do that. No, we've got no right to rename the arena. We are not doing that. We are adjusting how we refer to it. Yeah, indeed. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Catherine. Um, I think one other thing that, one or two of our correspondents did say is that or asked us is whether we'd 
asked Yvonne Goudagong Corley's permission to do this. And, well, in all honesty, no, we hadn't. And, and I think it's I think it's a fair point. Uh, I sort of, the reason we did this is because, you know, in my view, it's it's an unofficial thing. It's our show, and we just we just want to pay tribute to somebody who we were inspired by um, in reading up on and covering her in Tennis Relived last week. That's that's the inspiration behind this. Uh, aside from wanting to make the point that we're also making about uh, the existing stadium name, but um, we feel that it's it's something that we can do just to to show our respect and admiration for her and, and to pay tribute to her. And we are going to be back with another show tomorrow. Crikey, it's, it's already coming around <laughs> tomorrow. Um, and uh, i tell you what, Chester's having a good week. The rescue cat from Battersea that's uh, our mascot for the week uh, is getting four shows, which is brilliant because Chester's lovely. Oh, uh, Chester's Rogue from Battersea. Well, Rescue Cat from Battersea. Yeah. Oh, I've got written down here. lovely. Um, Magic. Magic's from Battersea. Ah, there you he's go. Still, he's still alive. Simon oh. Wood is the owner, who, who we know well. Oh, and, hello, Simon. Uh, is, is lovely. Um, Rogue is also amazing. Rogue is uh, is uh, sponsoring me. Uh, and Matt's got Scousel Mousel. Uh, and Catherine's got Zeus, which is just, I just love saying that name. Mm, um, me too. Also love saying Billie Jean King. Yeah, Billie Jean King is sponsoring Billie Jean the dog. Uh, Billie Jean King, if you wouldn't mind having a word with Billie Jean about ripping up Catherine's mail, that mm. would be useful. So, you know, trying to have a good influence. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer, top bloke, and we much appreciate his support. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We do. Shout-outs today are Nancy Dore. All right, Nancy. I really Thanks like the name support. Nancy. Makes me think of Oliver. Yes. Oliver Twist. Yes, so thank you, Nancy. Also, Vikram Swaroop. Oh, hello. Vikram. That's a great name. That is sensational. We could definitely be famous with that name. There's a cricketer called Vikram, isn't there? I think there's a lot of cricketers called Vikram. Hmm. Who am I thinking of? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Vikram Solanke? Yes. Yes. He, he has retired. Uh, I don't know much about cricket everybody (laughs) I think so (laughs) thank you so much for your support and finally uh, Corinne Maybom what what now? yeah I I, I have to apologise for the as in like for the pronunciations April bomb June bomb (laughs) almost certainly butchering M-E-I-B-O-M oh I like that a lot that's so cool what a cool name Mm. Corinne thanks so much for your support we've all got Apologies to this in advance. Quite boring names. <laughs> yeah. Makes you realise, doesn't it? Yeah. Not memorable bit, at all. You know. Oh, well. <laughs> um, what can I say? I can't. I mean, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could, could I have a really good nickname, maybe? Maybe I could have a really good nickname. Didn't Daryl tell us an amusing nickname that you had at uni? I forgot oh, right, it, though. <laughs> um... <laughs> The law. That'll I'm do. sure he'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, I think law's quite a cool name. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Right. Well, we'll we'll think about it. See if I can come up <laughs> with anything else. Uh, thanks ever so much for listening, folks. Um, Catherine and Matt. Um, it was a fun hour to spend in your company. We'll do it all again tomorrow. See you then. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.